Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, that splash now isn't just for the kids. Uh, you can get out there and get wet too. Right, I, I, I know some of you in the past have gone down those water slides, so we'll be seeing uh, Barbie and a few others out there again, I'm sure. <laughs> Not to mention any names or anything. But right. uh, There was an uh, old woodsman that uh, lived way out in the mountains, and what little money he made was from chopping a cord of wood and selling it. Now, a cord of wood is, you know, four or five feet high and about, I forgot, exactly six or eight feet long, and you chop it up and they sell it that way. And he would chop the wood with his axe, and about once a year he'd go in the town, he'd buy all of his supplies, and he'd go buy a new axe because using that one so much and sharpening it, sharpening it on the old grinding wheel would grind it down. Well, he goes into the hardware store, and there's a new salesman there, and he said, what are you going to do with that axe? And he told him, and he said, well, how much wood can you cut with that axe? He goes, oh, I can cut about a quarter a day, and that way I can, I can sell quite a bit during the week. And the man said, well, we got this chainsaw on sale over here. I guarantee you it would take you less time with this chainsaw to cut two cords of wood as it does with that axe to cut one. Oh, really? Yes, sir. Okay, well, give it here. So he buys a chainsaw. About two months later, they see the old man coming in carrying the chainsaw. And they're thinking, well, this is unusual. He usually only comes in like once a year. And he came and he put that chainsaw up on the counter. And he goes, I worked twice as hard with that chainsaw. And I couldn't cut two cords. I couldn't hardly cut one cord every day with that chainsaw. I want my axe back. And the guy said, well, there must be something wrong with the saw. He grabs it and pulls it. Run, run. And the old farmer goes, what's that noise? What's that noise? <laughs> Don't assume somebody knows something. All right? You could see the old man with that chainsaw doing like this, trying to cut through the wood. Because right? he didn't know how to use it. Well, today, if I say something that seems a little elementary to you, remember, somebody might not know it. And also remember, none of us know everything. Not even me. I know you think that, but really don't. We were at one one uh, conference with Pastor Jane and Janine and Jeff, and I think Tim and Tanya were there. And the pastor said that after his service, he had the television up and he had a scripture, like it was Mark fourteen five or something. And a lady came up and said, "I have a question for you." You put those words up there, and at the bottom, there was a name, a number, and dot, dot, and some more numbers. What's that? She had not grown up in a Christian home. She had no idea what a scripture reference was. So today, hopefully, what I say will be in a way that helps you to understand it. Because I can use the $15 words if you want. But if it doesn't help you live it out when you leave here, then what good is it? At least that's the way I look at it. Because I'm simple, so I like it simple. Now, we're going to continue with the uh, series on reset that Pastor Jane has started, which, of course, is what we're doing here at the church this summer. We're resetting, refreshing, regrouping so that we can refire stronger than ever. That's why we have the one service. That's why after service, we have a little uh, the games and time of fellowship. And they got some snacks out there for you today uh, to eat and, and spend time with one another all right, so that we can refresh, regroup, and then come out stronger than ever. Today's sermon is entitled, uh, Resetting Relationships, because those are very important, of course, in our lives. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. 
That sounds good and we all like it. I like it. What the Lord is saying here through the prophet Isaiah is that just like that eagle flies high, I'm going to make you fly high. Now, the eagle, when a smaller bird attacks it for whatever reason, maybe it's got a nest in the area or it's trying to protect its territory, that that little bird is so agile and can turn so quickly that the eagle can't catch it, even though he's much bigger. So what the eagle does is, as many of you know, the eagle just flies higher. He can go to a much higher altitude than that little bird can. So he just flies way up above his problems. And he's up there by himself, no problems, nothing attacking him. No, no, no distractions. And if you ever look at an eagle, if you watch them, if you've uh, seen them in person or on TV, when they're way up high like that, they're not flapping their wings. They're not struggling to stay up there. I got I to gotta work. I'm going to fall at any second. No, that eagle, that updraft of the air coming up, that eagle, just like it says in that verse, is soaring effortlessly not working not trying not straining just floating along and God is saying if you let me if you take my strength I'll lift you high above your problems I'll get you up there effortlessly you can just soar along with me and then you can clear your mind and think about what needs to be thought about all of us need to reset at times you know that's why they have half times in football games they go in there at halftime, and they kind of reset the offense, reset the defense. They're putting an extra tight end over here to help block that defensive end. So we're going to rush the guy from this side or on you know, offense where they got that. They're bringing the safety down low to back up the run, so we're going to send the slot receiver right around behind him. They reset. They do something different. If you don't like the way things are going in your life right now, time to reset. Right? Do something differently. In... Um, if here's the slide that I have with that. If your life isn't what you want it to be, if you are needing to be refreshed by his strength, then begin it with a reset. You know, Einstein said the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing over and over and expecting to get different results. If you continue to live your life doing the same things you've always been doing, you're going to get what you've always gotten. The farmer who keeps planting wheat shouldn't be upset that he doesn't get corn. If you want corn, you got to plant corn. You want a better life, you want things to change, you got to do something differently. Step step back and reset. Merriam-Webster's dictionary says that reset means to set again or anew. Dictionary.com says to set, reset means to set, adjust, or fix in a new or different way. My computer crashed a couple of weeks ago hard drive and everything else just died crashed out uh our resident mac technician and genius stephen mcdonough took it and got a new hard drive in it and got it all running up for me loaded all my programs i got it on wednesday morning wednesday night crashed again so then they had to go buy me a, a a new one or a different one so i've been resetting everything you can think about i've been on Microsoft. i've talked to three people the last um, month, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, last week with Microsoft, trying to get them to help me reset some of the stuff on there. All of us have reset our password. We've had to reboot our computer. We're used to doing that. Well, how about doing that with our life? If you look around, you'll see that wise people, prosperous people, healthy people do a reset. Read any biography or 
autobiography of famous people or successful people, at some point in their life, they stop and they figure out, I've got to do something differently. And that's when they begin to become successful. So you and I need to do that. And some of the things that in our relationships that we're, as we're looking at them, we first have to understand that the quality of our relationships would determine the quality of our life. If you hang out with birds, you're going to be a bird. Okay? If, you, if you notice in any of the old, uh, I had somebody say this, so I started looking in the history books. I got a bunch of books at the house on all those things, and, and most of them are set out there on the shelf in the garage. But anyway, every now and then I look at them, and when you see the pictures and you see the generals, guess who they're with? Other generals, other officers. When you see the privates sitting around the campfire, who are they with? Privates. So if you want your life to start getting better, then you better start hanging out with a few generals. You better start hanging out with a captain or a lieutenant or somebody above you. If every time you get together with your friends, you're the smartest, you're the one who's helping everybody else, you're the strongest spiritually, and they're all asking you questions and you're helping them, you need to get some new friends. It's okay to help them, but you need somebody helping you. Because if you want to go to the next level, you've got to have someone help you to go to that next level above you. Proverbs 27.3 says, Know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. Now, Solomon was the wisest man ever to live outside of Jesus. And if you read the New Testament, you'll see that over and over Jesus quotes Solomon. He doesn't always give him credit for it. But the story that Jesus tells about, if you go to the, uh, the banquet... Don't with the with the leader or the king. Don't sit at the head of the table because then somebody more honorable than you may come along and you'll be embarrassed by having to go. Solomon said that way thousands of years before in Proverbs. Jesus was just saying what Solomon said. So even Jesus recognized his wisdom. So if Solomon thought it was wise for you to know the state of your flocks and your herds, in other words, your possessions, your money, your bank accounts, if Solomon thought it was important that we knew that. Don't you think it's just as important that we know the, the state of our relationships? Those that help us, those that pull us down. If we need to change how we're acting toward any of those relationships, we need that in our lives. We need to have that checkup. Now, not all relationships are equal. You know, everybody that you meet or know isn't on the same level. There are circles. Your inner circle that you have, that should be God and your family. They should be the most important people in this world to you. Then you have your co-workers and your friends. Uh, you, then you move on out to your acquaintances, and the Bible calls them neighbors. Right? And in there, between, uh, after those friends, you might have the people you work with, like your boss or your employer. Right? So we have different levels of relationship, but the Bible teaches us that we're supposed to act toward each and every one of them in a godly manner. Even the boss that you don't like. Do you notice that there's no place in the Bible where it says treat people nice that treat you nice? I saw that on Facebook a while back. A famous person wrote this. If you treat me nice, I'll treat you nice. And I started to write, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you treat me like dirt, I'll treat you nice. So we have to do that with our, all the relationships that we have. But that first relationship that we have to have right is our relationship with God. Uh, Joshua 
who led the children of Israel, of course, over into the land, of the promised land, says in 22.5, Love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, obey his commands, hold firmly to him, and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Of course, Jesus and the other places in the law, that's quoted as well. What Joshua is saying here was you got to give it all to God. Everything you got. In fact, God even tells us, I am a jealous God. I don't want anything in front of me. Isn't that what we tell our husband or our wife? Better not be no woman in front of me. Better not be no man that's more important to you than me. God says, I'm married to you. I'm number one in your life. And you know, the stronger the relationship we have with God, the stronger these relationships will be. The better this relationship is, the better these relationships will be. I had a good friend of mine uh, years ago before we ever started the church. And, and I went, we attended the same church and we would you know, hang out and do things together. And I knew he was going through a divorce and was having a bit of a hard time. I knew his wife and the whole family you know, for years. And, and we were out one night doing something, and he confided in me. He said, I know you're a pastor. I, I need to tell you, you know, my life's just going. It's just awful. Everything is bad. But I've been having an affair with a co-worker for the last year and a half or so. And I need to do something, though, to fix my life. And I looked at him, and I said, well, you know what? If you want this relationship to be good, got to get that one in place first. You got to be right with God before you can do anything else. So you can't keep going out with that woman over there and being with her when you're married to this one over here and expect God to say, yeah, you're doing good. So keep on going. No. You got to get this relationship first and say, God, you're first in my life above everything else. Then this part would be right. Whatever that might be, whether it's your, your family, your kids you're putting first above God, your job, where you live, the type of car you drive. I used to have a Corvette and people would come to me and wonder, you know, like sometime, one day at the church, somebody went out with some kids that a guy had brought and one of them accidentally scraped the car just a little bit. A bright red metal flake paint job. And he came back in and he said, Pastor Larry, I got to tell you, one of my little boys. I said, okay. He looked at me and goes, yeah, but he scratched it. It's okay. It's a car. That car is not important to me than God. And I'm not going to get all mad and start yelling and hollering and acting like a fool. Because I got God in my life. He's first. Now, do I want you to scratch my car? No. And if I'm there, I'll stop you. (laughs) But I'm not going to lose it over the fact that something like that happened. Because God's first place in my life. And we have to keep him first place in our life. And I... For ever since I was 17, yeah, I've been coming into church and doing the children's church. I've stood in this pulpit here and preached probably more times than I've been in a Sunday service for the other however many years before that. And we're talking a lot, by the way. Right? Because, and sometimes people say, we're going to the beach this weekend. We're going to spend Saturday night and be back Sunday afternoon and go to work on Monday. You want to come? Can't. Well, we're having so-and-so over to our house, and we're doing such-and-such, and and, well, I'll be there after church. And sometimes they look at me like, poor thing, he's sacrificing so much. I said, no, I don't have to come to church. I get to come to church. 
I get the opportunity to walk in with fellow believers and lift my voice and praise and worship the God of the universe, the one who loved me, who redeemed me. He took me out of that slimy pit and put joy and peace in my heart, who meets my needs, who's with me everywhere I go all the time. I get the privilege of coming in and worshiping him. I don't have to go to church because God is first place in my life. That makes me want to be with him and to love him, right? to be there all the time around him. One of the central themes that Jesus had when he came, when he taught, was that religion won't get you to heaven. It's a relationship with God that gets you there. So if you think you're going to follow a bunch of little rules and regulations, and it's, it's a good thing to do right, but that will not get you into heaven. Your relationship with Jesus is what gets you into heaven. All right. The next relationship is our families. And the the scripture that a lot of people quote when they get to this part about husbands and wives anyway, Paul addresses the husbands and wives and the children in Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6. But most people just quote Ephesians 5 too. And a lot of men who aren't even Christian know this verse. And I... And it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as to the Lord. And they say, see there, woman, sit down and shut up. Do what I say. That's not what it says. That isn't even godly. And things in the Bible are godly, all right, that it tells us to do. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that one is Lord over the other and and you just have to do what I say. No. Look at the second part of that verse. It says, submit yourself to your husband as you do to the Lord. How do you submit to Jesus? You love him. How do you submit to your husband? You love him. But, you know, it's not just a one-way street there. Paul tells men twice as much to do here as he does to women. Because if you look at the verse before that one, which they skip over conveniently, 521, it says, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. Husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Well, who's the boss? Jesus. Because he's the one that we submit to, it says, in reverence to the Lord. The wife's number one need is security, and it's not because she can't take care of herself. It's someone to stand beside her that's got her back, that's going to be there with her to help her. That's the number one thing for the women to have. So, husband, put your wives first, above your golf game, above your football. You don't have to die physically, but you can put her first and put your needs second. Make her first, because when you do that, see, a husband's number one need is honor and respect. Well, when the husband begins to to meet the needs of his wife and show her that she's first, then she's going to want to honor him. Well, when he gets honored, it makes him want to meet her need. When she gets her need met, it makes her want to honor. When he gets honored, it makes her him want to meet her. You get it's just a big circle that God created that keeps going to make the marriage work the way that God wants it to work. And then in Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-five, it says, "Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it." Paul just told her to submit. He told you to die. To die for, your, for yourself to help her. And then in the uh, Ephesians 5.33. So again, 
I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You do that, and you'll have the type of marriage that you want. But sometimes we have to stop and look at that. Where am I spending my time? How am I treating my wife? How am I treating my husband? I, I had to learn, and my beautiful wife helped me to learn, that when I speak sometimes, it comes across in a harsh manner. Well, that's not, she, she kind of doesn't like that. But I wasn't, I didn't recognize it. Right? But I had to stop. I had to figure it out. And I'm not perfect. I still sometimes say things in a way that, you know, doesn't come across right. But I can tell you this, in my prayers when I pray, I, I submit, I exalt Jesus and I list the things I exalt him over. And one of the things is my tone of voice and the way I respond. Because I want to be more like him. I want to keep him first in my life. So, uh, love husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. And then he goes into chapter 6 where he talks about children in verses 1 through 3. So, all the teenagers can listen to this one. It says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you and you will have a long life on the earth. Notice it doesn't say to obey your parents because they're always right. It doesn't say obey your parents because they, uh, you're going to be in trouble if you don't. It says obey your parents because you belong to Jesus. See, when you obey your parents, you know who you're really obeying? God. You're obeying God when you obey your parents. And God, as we said earlier, is a rewarder. So it says here, if you obey your parents, I'm going to get, here's the promise I have for you. You'll have a nice long life on this earth. A good life. Teenagers, you want a better life? Maybe you ought to start looking at how you obey your parents. Because when you disobey them, you're disobeying God. Now, so make sure that you, you, you might have to stop and rethink that. I remember at, when I turned, graduated from high school within just a little bit, all of a sudden, my, my mom and my dad, suddenly, they were so much smarter than they had been a few months before. Because <laughs> yeah. now I was having to get a job and take care of my own self. Now, I was already, you know, I didn't, nobody gave me a car. I had to work and earn, buy a car. If I couldn't make the insurance payment, I didn't drive it. If I didn't have the money to buy gas, it sat in the yard. All right? And I'm still in high school. I had to do that myself. But now, I got out of high school, and I'm looking at going to college and wanting the money for that. My mom and dad said, if you want to go to college, God bless you, son. Good luck. I had to pay. I had, you know, nobody was giving me any money to go to college. Now, all of a sudden, I'm realizing my mom and dad have been how many years? They've took care, of, paid all the bills. They had food on the table. They met. They paid the electricity. We never had to sleep in, you know, in some bad, terrible place because they always took care. They, hey, they're pretty smart. So obey your parents and the Lord because it's the right thing to do. And then Jesus goes, and uh, or the next level outside is our friends and the bible says that we're to be a faithful friend proverbs seventeen seventeen says a friend is always loyal and a brother is born in, to help in time of need and proverbs 20 verse 6 many will say they are loyal friends but who can find one who is truly reliable 
Are you that reliable friend, or are you the one who tells everybody how bad they are when they're not around? Uh, you know, are, are you the one who supports their friend when they have a problem and everybody's looking down on them? Are you the one who shows up? Or are you the one who, you know, well, I'll, I'll see him around. Walter Winchell made this, said this, has this quote, a real friend is one who is walking in while the rest of the world is walking out. That's the type of friend that God expects us to be. Yeah? A loyal friend. Not talking bad about them. You know the old... Uh, TV show Happy Days, where you got Richie Cunningham, the all-American boy, and Fonzie, hey, the cool guy, all right? And uh, in one episode, Richie is working for the school newspaper, and he's the investigative reporter, and he goes in, and uh, some of the meat they've been serving in the cafeteria is bad. So he and Fonzie sneak into the kitchen to check it out, and they find out that they've bought a bunch of old meat that's bad. But it's really cheap, so the guy in charge is pocketing the money and serving this junk. Well, as they're opening some of the meat, they open a tray of liver that's raw, and it kind of moves, and Fonzie freaks out. Ah, liver! No, I can't stay. Get it away from me. Get away. And Richie is just beside. Fonzie is scared of something? Fonzie's not cool around liver? And Fonzie says, now, Red, you can't tell everybody. And Richie said, but Fonz, I'm an investigative reporter. I owe it to my readers to tell them this news. Everybody will want to know this. And Fonzie says, well, you know, Richie, I always thought of you and I as like the Lone Ranger and Tonto. And Richie said, yeah, that's true, Fonzie. But, you know, everybody was always trying to pull off the Lone Ranger's mask and see what was behind there. And Fonzie looked at him and said, yeah, that's right. But Tonto never did. A friend won't rip off your mask and show your faults and t- show everybody your failures and bad things. And you won't do that if you're a good friend. We will treat them as Jesus wants us to treat them and be that loyal friend. And then you have leaders, spiritual leaders and government leaders. Enough about that. No, spiritual leaders, the Bible says that we're supposed to Follow our leaders. Hebrews 17, 13, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. You know, your spiritual leaders, Pastor Jane, myself, others here at the church, we pray for you guys all the time. We ask God to help you to meet your needs. One of the things that I pray over you is that whatever word is spoken in here on Sunday morning, see, that's where the power comes from is God's word. And that you would hear that word. Because, you know, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. And all, many other scriptures. But I say, Lord, let them hear your word. Let them think about it during the week. Bring it back to their memory. Let them meditate on it. Then begin to let them say it. Then they can apply it to their life. Because the Bible says that you overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, what Jesus did, and then the word of your testimony, what you say. So if you say the word, you're going to line up with it. You're going to get blessed by it. So make sure that you listen to your spiritual leaders because Pastor Jane answers to God for what is said up here. I'm answering to God for what I say up here today. One day I'm going to stand before him and he's going to ask me, what did you say here? What? What were you trying to do? Were you trying to look good and make everybody think how handsome you are? No? 
Or were you up there trying to say something that would help that believer love Jesus and serve him better? To get out of their problems and overcome what their challenges are. So listen to your spiritual leaders. Your government leaders. It doesn't tell you in the Bible to love Republicans or love Democrats. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the laws that are in place. As long as they're not ungodly laws that cause us to sin, we're supposed to obey those laws. And if you would, instead of writing on Facebook so much about how bad people are, why don't you spend that time praying for them? To make the right choice. Because whoever that government leader is, whatever choice they make, it affects you. So don't you want them to make a good one? So pray that they will make that right choice that God has for them to make. Because the Bible says in Romans 13.1, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So when we follow those rules that they and our laws, we're following God. Right? Now, if you notice something, in Jesus' day, the political situation was that the Romans were in charge and the Jews were nothing. If the Romans saw you going someplace, they could make you stop, pick up whatever he was carrying, and walk a mile the other way. Right? Jews were killed for no reason whatsoever. If they just didn't like them, they could kill them. Nobody would, they wouldn't be in trouble. And do you know that Jesus never one time told the Romans they shouldn't act that way? Jesus never told his disciples, you know, those crummy Romans, I know. No. Remember when Jesus was before Pilate? What did Jesus tell him? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my people would fight. But my kingdom isn't of this world. So I'm not concerned with whatever political system is in charge. Because I'm more concerned with the inner man, where the peace is, where they get peace, where they get joy, where they get their life from. If I can get that part, then it doesn't matter what political system is in charge, because I will bless them. They'll walk in my blessing. They'll walk there where I provide for them. And I'll take care of them, no matter who's in charge politically, because they belong to me. So I would rather work on that part of them and enjoy heaven with them forever and eternity than to talk to them about how to change some political system. Now, that doesn't mean we're not supposed to talk about our political system. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't go and vote and try to get the one in there we want who agrees with us. Yes, you're supposed to do that, but that doesn't control me. That's not where my needs are met. The United States government or taxes or whatever else doesn't meet my need. I'm in God's economy. He meets my need, but I still have to obey the laws that are above me because that's what God said to do. And as a Christian, that's what we're supposed to do. And then there's that relationship that we have with our employers and employees. Right? And if, in Paul's day, they had slaves. And it was slaves of every nation, every color, every race, whatever. Uh, and there were a lot of reasons that people ended up being slaves. They may owe a lot of money and they're working it off. Now, while they were not for slavery, they never stood up and preached against it. What Paul did was he said this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Workers, obey your boss. Obey them with deep respect and fear 
serve them sincerely. Do you know you're supposed to serve your boss like you would serve Jesus? Well, I was reading my Bible on job and they fired me. They're anti-Christian. No, you were stealing. They were paying you money to do a job and you were taking that money and weren't doing the job. It wasn't anything about you being a Christian. You may try and, you know, well, yeah, I'm just so holy and I was doing right. No, you were stealing from them. You weren't honoring that boss. Well, you ought to know the way they treat. Where does it say that? Where does it say in here that the way they treat me determines the way I treat them? The world does that. We're not in the world. We're not of the world. We're Christian. We're different. So that relationship, we ought to be the one showing people that we work with that we don't complain and gripe about the boss all the time. We either keep our mouth shut because my mama told me if you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. Right? So either you don't say anything or when they do something good, you support them and help them. Right? And then he talked to the slaves. Now he's talking to the masters a few verses later. In 6.9, he says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Just because you're in charge doesn't mean he likes you more. And he's going to hold you accountable to have that Christ-like action toward those people, just like he holds them accountable to have it toward you. So if you're going to work and you're sitting there all day playing solitaire on your computer... If you're sitting there taking stuff home from the job and take for personal reasons, you're stealing from them. Go in there and have some integrity and be, treat your boss like you're supposed to treat them. And I've been on the other side of that where I didn't treat my boss like I was supposed to. Not here. I've always treated Pastor Jane with honor and respect. She's probably watching, so I guess it. No, but in other places, you know, none of us are perfect. We've all done it the wrong way. But the Bible teaches that we're supposed to give that honor to those who are over us in that relationship. And then finally, the last circle is our neighbors. And in Luke chapter 10, a man comes to Jesus and, and he says, okay, you're a smart guy, Jesus. How do I get to heaven? And Jesus, being a good teacher, turned right around and said, well, you tell me. And the, the man said, well... Love the Lord your God and love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And Jesus said, good answer, but also add to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy wanting to be a little bit of a smart aleck and say, you know, justify himself said, okay, smart guy, who's my neighbor? The guy that lives on either side of me, the guy across the street, the guy I meet at the store, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a parable of the Good Samaritan where the man is beaten and left uh, bloodied and, and bruised alongside the road. Most of his clothes have been taken because they were, wor- they were worth something and they stole all of his goods. And the priest comes by, the highest spiritual authority. The priest walks on the other side of the road and says, I can't get involved. You know, I get dirty and get some blood on my robe and it's a nice robe. I just had it dry cleaned. Then the Levite comes along, who's also a spiritual leader, and he does the same thing. And then Jesus says, this hated and despised Samaritan. They were half-breeds, as far as the Jews were concerned. And they were told not to intermarry with the people who were there, and they did. And they, not, they don't even come to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. They think you ought to worship on that mountain over there where Jacob was. And so we don't have anything to do with those Sorry, no good Samaritans. They're not even Christian. And Jesus said that Samaritan stopped, cleaned his wounds up, put some clothes on him, 
took him into town and out of his own pocket paid for him to stay in a hotel and told the guy if he's sick or needs longer to recover than what I've paid, I'll give it to you when I come back. And then Jesus says, now who is his neighbor? Your spiritual leader that you think is so great or that sorry, no good, despicable Samaritan? And the guy says, the Samaritan. And Jesus said, you answered correctly, now go and do likewise. Now, Jesus wasn't telling us there that every person who has a need, we need to stop and help. That's impossible. What he was saying was your attitude toward helping someone when you see that they need help. Do you have the right attitude? You may, you're not going to help every one of them. I ask the Lord, and sometimes the Lord says, no, don't help them. Other times the Lord says, help them. And, and it's not just like, you know, it's a voice you hear all the time. It's just that inner witness on the inside. Which that's why Jesus said he was going to send the Holy Spirit to be our guide, to be a helper. And so that Holy Spirit will help you make those choices and with helping your neighbor. Now, all of us have to stop, as I said, and reset. Billy Graham went to Bible College right over here in Clearwater. And while he was... Uh, no, I'll skip that story and go on. Um, Later, later on, years later, he's out, and he's now the leader of a small Bible college, just a few years out of himself being a student. And he has a friend that he had known for a while that he had preached crusades with and, and spent time with, and he kind of looked up to this guy, and he meets him at an educator's conference, and the guy has left the ministry. And he derides Billy Graham and puts him down for believing all that Bible stuff. There's just too much in there I can't believe. I don't, Bill, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm surprised you still believe it. Well, when Billy left there, it really shook him up because that was his friend who was on fire for God just like he was, had been on fire for God. And over the next few days, he kept thinking about the things in the Bible that he couldn't answer, that he didn't understand. And so he said that after a few days there in North Carolina where he was, there was a big uh, grove of pecan trees, those great big high trees. And he took his Bible in the morning and walked out and sat down in the shade of one of those trees and just spent most of the day out there talking to God. When he came back in, he said, I just decided that, yeah, there are things in the Bible I don't understand. But it came down to this. Either you believe it or you don't. And I chose to believe it. He went out there, he refreshed, he regrouped, and he came back and refired stronger than he ever was because he now had completely committed to God and said, I believe it totally, everything about me. Sometimes we all need to sit back and reset. Sometimes people come to church and they, we all have heard this for so long that it's sort of like you know, water running off a duck's back. Yeah, okay, yeah, I heard that. I know that. That's really good, Pastor Larry, that's good. And we don't ever really stop and think about it or apply it to our lives. And that makes me think of the story of John Madden, the football coach, who was the announcer on TV that the football game is named after Madden. And he was the Super Bowl winning coach before he went into the broadcast booth. And as a young coach at a junior college, he'd been coaching a couple of years. And he said, you know, I thought I had football figured out. You know, there's only so many things you can do on offense, only so many things you can do on defense. So I got this figured out. But they, they sent me off to a, co- to a coach's clinic, and the guy who was teaching was Vince Lombardi, who the Super Bowl trophy is named after, who won the first two Super Bowls, who's regarded as one of the greatest coaches ever. And he said Vince Lombardi on that day spoke for eight hours on one play. 
one play. It was a toss sweep where the quarterback is hiked the ball, turns and tosses it to the running back who's sweeping around to the right or to the left. And he spent eight hours talking about the nuances of that one play. John Madden said, I went there thinking I knew everything. I left thinking I don't know anything. Well, you know, that's how it is with God. As much as we may know, we don't know anything compared when we look at the love of God, the grace of God, how God wants to bless us, how he wants to reward us, how much, you know, Jesus is crying, talking about Jerusalem, saying, oh, how I wish I could just wrap my arms around you and love you. God is saying that to us today. And in Psalm 91, verse 1, in the King James Version, it's written this way. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You notice it's a secret place. The devil can't get there. He doesn't know where it is. And that, can, that place can be like you go off to the beach or you go to the mountains. you spend some, Or it can be sitting right in your own living room. Wherever you are, you get alone with God. You start talking to him. You get that fellowship going back and forth with the one who loves you and the one you love. And you're just lifted up and soar on his strength above your problems. One time I was crying out to God and feeling sorry for myself. My car, when it rained, you know, the paint would peel off and come back on the windshield. Uh, it it did like this as you went down the road, you know, wobble from side to side. I'm living in a little tiny 10 by 40 trailer. I'm working two, three jobs and going to Bible college. And I walk out of class and I look down and there's a student getting into a brand new car. Lives in the brand new apartments right across over there. Has a job at the post office making three times what I'm making. And on the way home, I just started having a pity party. God, why can't I have what he has? I'm going to Bible college just like he is. How come I don't have that? How come I can't live in the blood? How come I don't have a nice car? And the Lord said, praise me. I said, I don't want to. And then I stopped because, you know, you hear yourself say that. You think, well, that was stupid. So I said, okay, well, at least my car runs. I am going to Bible college. I do have a place to live. I do have a job. My needs are met. I got a God who loves me. Hey, he, he watches over me. He help, and all of a sudden, I am just so happy. And I stopped. I literally stopped because the tears were still on my face from where I'd been crying out to God. I stopped and I said, what changed? All of a sudden, now I'm happy. And well, you got your eyes off your problems and got them on me. You know, that was a reset that I had to do. We all can take time to reset our relationships, no matter who they are. Some of your friends, you might have to cut off. I did. I had to cut off some friends I used to hang around with. Can't go get high with that guy anymore. Now, Jesus kind of frowns on that. You, you have to cut those relationships off. And then you have to build other relationships. You have to get that relationship with God in the right way. You have to make sure your relationship with your friends and your family and your coworkers and your boss is a godly relationship. You, we need to reset, refresh, regroup, and then refire stronger than ever. I hope you got something out of that today.